Before we get into uh, the book of 1 Peter this morning, we're just going to do something slightly a little bit different. So, uh, Yoel, Joel, do you want to come and join us? Uh, this is a friend of mine who... Uh, um, Yoel, is that the best way to say it in Dutch? Yeah. Yeah. Let me grab you this. He's a, a member of the Dutch parliament in the Tweede Kammer, um, and because of the passage we're speaking about this morning, I invite him to come along. I just thought it'd be great just to ask him a few questions and just help you guys get to know him a little bit. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, what you do, what your role is, and how you got into that? Okay. Well, thanks, Matt, for inviting us. Me and my wife, Deborah, are here, and my son, Manuel, and Laura are here, part of the church. So, uh, good to be here. I was here one time before, and uh, I'm member of, uh, we're a member of the Vineyard Church here in Amsterdam. It's, uh, we gather in the Sauder Kerk. It's a church of uh, 1607, so it's uh, three, three and a half centuries ago. And uh, it's an evangelical church. And uh, I'm a member of parliament since 2006. I was... Uh, uh, at university, studying political science, when God really called me to be into politics, and uh, since then, so that's since 1991, uh, we've been active in Den Haag in, in Parliament, and uh, yeah, God learned me a lot about vision for society, vision for Amsterdam, vision for the world. Uh, I've studied political science at uh, the Free University in Amsterdam. Uh, but it was until I met Youth with a Mission. Uh, yeah, Michiel knows it very well. Michiel and I worked before at Steiger 14. And uh, through Youth with a Mission, I got to know Glenn Martin. And although I was studying at the Christian University, I didn't know Abraham Kuyper. Uh, and I went to America to really get to know his vision uh, to see the world through God's eyes. And uh, that really transformed me and my vision for the world um, to see the history, but also the future um, through God's perspective. So that's, that's really uh, been a big change in my, in my life. That's brilliant. And uh, a bit of a slightly more tricky question for you, which if you can answer that really well, then it's going to make my preaching moment a whole lot easier. But uh, how do you go about, in 1 Peter it talks about, um, for us, for all believers, those who are followers of Jesus, instructs us to be subject to every human institution and to honor those in government um, on one hand, but then you've got other verses, for instance, in Acts chapter 5, where it says that we're to obey God rather than men. So how do you find that uh, in your work and in your job, trying to represent and be an ambassador for Christ, but sometimes in a context where decisions are made and things happen which would be almost in conflict with what you believe? Yeah, if you if you look back at the the passage, uh, it was on a very difficult situation where the Romans uh, were the ruling power. So if uh, Paul was saying to obey the government, it must have been a harsh uh, message for the Christians at that time because they were persecuted by the same authority. Where Paul said, "Please respect authority," uh, and even he said it even more strongly to obey authority uh, because all authority comes from him. Uh, at the same time, we see that the Christians in the early uh, centuries were uh, living out the gospel, living out the good news for people, uh, uh, sharing their lives, uh, reaching out for the poor, for the sick, for the needy, 
And um, I think that the passage on praying for the government was also very essential because we know in the third century where uh, Emperor uh, Constantine um, was uh, converted to Christianity, the whole um, Roman Empire changed and uh, were, was focused to Christ and Christ's kingdom. So uh, the combination of uh, even though the government uh, is not directly under sovereignty of the, of the Lord, we see that the Christians were living out the faith and uh, were praying for the government. And then we saw this big miracle changing uh, all of Europe when the emperor came to Christ. So it's um, a message of obeying God um, through serving uh, the government, but not only be passively uh, waiting for Christ to return his kingdom also into government, but also be active as Christians uh, at the moments and the places that God gives you to be uh, salt and light in society. Uh, and of course, it's easier for us here in Holland where we have um, the Christian roots still uh, visible and uh, available for us, Christian parties that are part of the government. Uh, it's much, much more difficult if you are living in a Muslim country where there's oppression of Christians um, and where they don't obey Christian, Christian laws. Um, so that, that makes us also responsible for our brothers and sisters to pray for them and to see if we can reach out for our brothers and sisters that are under the pressure of governments. So it's a, yes, it's a balance between obeying God more than the governments, but at the same time God created government to create order in our lives and to have respect for that government. At the same time, we are very motivated as Christians to be part of the government because yeah, the government, that's the people. So the people vote for the government. So we, uh, we should not stay passively. We can actually be part of the government or vote for um, parties that try to represent uh, the gospel also in uh, government itself. Excellent, really helpful. And you've been living here in, in Amsterdam and serving this city in lots of different ways through the years. How do you think we, this church here and other churches in this city, how do you think we can really serve this city? Um, the city has, um, has many needs and uh, a couple of weeks ago I was visiting the police commander, Pieter Jaap Albersberg, who actually is a Christian, uh, committed Christian, and uh, I asked him the same question, what could we as Christians do to support you and your work to uh, be a blessing to the city? Uh, so I said to him, what kind of uh, problems do you face as a police commander here in the city? And he said, well, actually, the biggest problem here in the city is alcohol. It's not uh, drugs, it's, it's the alcohol. Because he said, 80%, 85% of my men that are going out after 11 o'clock in the evening, they are um, involved in uh, taking care of people who are uh, connected to alcohol. So that's... Uh, uh, in family settings, violence, uh, violence because of alcohol in the streets, in the, um, uh, the, the clubs where people go out, uh, accidents in the streets because of alcohol. So he said uh, alcohol is a really big problem and also the party drugs. Uh, so not, not the heroin or whatever the hard drugs are, but the party drugs. So people, young people go out, uh, they want to um, go out until late in the morning or early in the morning 
and they get in trouble because of the party drugs, because uh, it, it mixes up their brains completely. And uh, so he said, please be involved in the youth. Please try to give them an alternative instead of going from thrill to thrill in the city. Give them uh, a meaning in life. Uh, present the gospel to them. Try to reach out for the youngsters in the city. And the other part he was mentioning is the uh, loneliness of elderly people. We have a lot of young people in the, in the city, but also elderly people who are lonely. So he said, uh, please try to take care of the, the elderly people and try to involve them in your community, reach out, uh, invite them for coffee. Uh, so that's what we as a vineyard church also try to do, reach out to youngsters, uh, students that uh, don't know Christ yet, and also for the people in our direct surroundings, the elderly people, but also the homeless people. We have a, a meal serving in the service on Sunday morning. So when we are singing, they are eating, having breakfast, and when the uh, preaching starts. Uh, we hope that they keep awake uh, and they sit at the back. I hope everyone keeps awake and, as well. Uh, yeah. They're listening, so I hope <laughs> you keep them awake as well because we're, uh, we're in the city center, so people just come and have a meal, and uh, that's why we try to be a blessing for the city as well. So I think the alcohol is a big problem, youth and the elderly. That's great. And then just one last question. You mentioned already, it says in one Timothy, that we should pray for those who are in government or in authority. Um, and at the end of the service, we'll have an opportunity to pray for you. But what, what could we pray for you for, both today and in the future? I think uh, beneath the things we see, I think there's a spiritual warfare going on also for Holland, because we think, Christian, we think the Netherlands is a Christian nation, but uh, we see a lot of spiritual warfare as well going on. I'm already mentioning the youth. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I think we, uh, uh, we can pray for um, God's spirit to move in Amsterdam and to move also in parliament because we don't see our opponents in parliament as uh, enemies, but we see them as principalities of, of powers and, and darkness that rules sometimes over us. Uh, but we believe that God has conquered the world and that we already seen some of his uh, breakthroughs in the city and in uh, the Netherlands. But it means that we uh, have the, the command to prayer. And sometimes we know of Daniel that it takes days and weeks to break through the darkness. But in the end, it's not the people that we fight, but it's the principalities of powers that we confront uh, with the kingdom of God. That's brilliant. That's really helpful. Um, well, as I said, we're going to have an opportunity to, to pray for Joel and his wife, Deborah, at the end of the service. But can we just give him a huge round of applause? Thank you so much. Bless you. Okay. Bless you so much. Okay, that was super helpful. And uh, he's answered all my questions, so we can all just go home now. It's great. If you want to find one Peter in your Bible, and then uh, in a moment it will appear on the screen as well. So let's, uh, let me read this. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil 
and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much, Jesus, that you're, Jesus, that you're alive, that you've conquered sin and death, that you've won this great victory over the principalities and powers in our world. And we come to a God who, it's not like we're hoping that maybe you'll come through and win, but we know that you've already won this great victory. We know that you've won this great victory for our own hearts, that we can know you. We can come to one who loves us deeply and dearly, who's forgiven forgiven us. And we just want to open up our hearts to you again this morning and say, speak to us. Guide us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We live in in an age which is very much an age of cynicism, where there are lots of doubts and questions particularly when it comes to, to politics, which we've already been talking about a little bit, there's so much cynicism in the world. People are, uh, people are fed up of fake news and post-truth and all those catchphrases, and people find it frustrating. Uh, and the danger is that you can become incredibly cynical in your mindset and just be critical and wanting just to bring things down. Uh, and that's not only true of politics, but true in lots of areas of life. There was a survey that took place in the Netherlands in 1966, which uh, rated four kind of spheres of life. It talked about science, the media, the church, and politics. And it asked people to rate which of those was the most trustworthy. And in 1966, people said that, first of all, the most trustworthy was science, and then the church, and then politics, and then media. That's how they listed it 50 years ago. And they did the same survey in 2015, so three years ago. And this time, it said that uh, first of all was science still, and then was the media, and then was politics, and then the church. So we went from 50 years ago being the second most trusted to the least trusted. That... uh, you might think it crazy that people would even trust politicians, no offense, more than they would trust us as believers. But that's how people think. People are incredibly cynical about so many, so many things. And a crucial question for us as believers is, and a lot of what 1 Peter goes on to talk about in lots of different ways is, how do we relate to authority? What does that, what does that mean? Uh, and when it comes particularly to those in authority over us, whether those are politicians or, or other, other people, there's different ways you can respond. You could, be, you could be like a bohemian, which you might think is a cool, hip thing to do. What bohemians tend to do is they, they're always offering a, they're always standing in, in opposition. They always have an alternative. It's a position of criticism. They're always critiquing what's going on coming up with all the things that are bad. Not necessarily coming up with solutions, but lots of criticism. 
Or another position you could be would be that of the, the revolutionary. You're an activist who you just want to see things happen. You just want to change. You just want to overthrow everything and come up with a new plan. Or people could also live a bit more like, a, react a bit more like a slave. Perhaps that's an un, unhelpful term, but you're just, you're just obedient. You just don't ask any questions. You don't criticize. You say, well, if he, if he says it, then it, it must be right. If, if that's what they're saying, then I'll, I'll just follow them. And I won't question, I'll just do whatever they say regardless. To the point where you almost begin to worship uh, that personal authority and, and make them into some sort of idol. And wherever they go, whatever they say, they're always right. Because they just are. We don't question. And what happens is that we can, we can, you can either kind of demonize you can take people in authority and you can turn them into baddies, people that we can overthrow and bring down, people who are evil, who are just willing to oppress us. Or you can, you can divinize, you can make them into, into gods, into idols that we think the, the only answer, the only person that can bring any solution is that guy. You see it happen in elections all the time where the latest kind of political savior comes along. Everyone says, if we get that guy in power, he'll change everything. He'll bring us hope and a future and a vision. That guy can solve all our problems. But then if you've been around long enough, you find that that's not what tends to happen. And then a few years later, another guy comes along who's going to promise us change and revolution. And he doesn't quite manage it either. And then it turns to the next person. And, and people are, are living with this, either the state, the kind of, the, the, the government is evil and needs to be overthrown. Or we're, we're living with this sense of that politicians can bring us some sense of a lost paradise. That they can make the world right again. That if you just get the right person with the right structures in power, they can just fix everything. It's not that politicians can't do so much good in the world. But if we turn them into these people that they're the only answer, the only solution, then on both extremes, I think you'll see that we've somehow lost a sense of, a sense of balance. So let's do a bit of groundwork, first of all. It's important to say that authority, this is a really important thing to get your heads around because this is not what the world around us believes, but authority is not bad. Okay, it's not, it's not at all. If you think about it this way, authority exists within the Godhead, within God, within the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's authority and submission taking place there. Jesus comes to earth to do the will of the Father. All the time, the Holy Spirit is looking to point our hearts towards Jesus. There's this sense of the Godhead, one God, three persons working together but there's authority there, there's submission there. For us, so for us just to say authority is bad, we're kind of overthrowing what, what's very much in the character of God and how he's decided the world should, should take place. The authority in the world, even amongst men and women, uh, in how we lead people isn't bad. That's not a bad thing at all. It talks about in... Romans 13, it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. So 
people in authority over us in government have been put there by God. You might think, well, that's a difficult thing to get your head around. And in some, in some con- countries, even in the context of the New Testament, as Joel was talking about, where you've got some rulers there who would have been genuinely evil, looking to persecute Christians, and yet they still say, no, they've been put there by God, that God's put those institutions into place. Now, obviously, sin corrupts things. Sin corrupts authority. Even in our own hearts, we can know sometimes when we put in positions of authority, it may be in our workplace or in our family, and there's, there can be a temptation sometimes to use those things for our own benefit, for our own advantage. Sin corrupts authority, but it doesn't mean fundamentally that it's a bad, it's a bad thing. It's, the best way to see it is it's a gift of God. Even the idea of government is a gift from God. It's how he's helping to bring order to the chaos of the world. It's how he's trying to bring order back into creation. It's, it's, it's a gift to us. And the question is, that I wanna look at today, the question that one Peter poses is, well, how do we, how do we honor? What does that look like for us as believers to be people that honor, particularly those who are in authority and you all mentioned uh, Abraham Kuiper, and I'm going to steal a few of his points. First of all, he says that honor receives. Honor receives. So we receive authority as if it's from God, because it is from God. We receive it. And that means we do things like in Romans 13, it says that we should pay our taxes. In, uh, it says, as we've already mentioned um, in 1 Timothy, that we should pray. It's really important to pray for those who are in authority over us. Pray that God gives them wisdom. Pray even he, that he might break into their lives and speak to them powerfully. We should, it says in 1 Peter, that we should obey the laws that God's given us. Obey the laws of the world around us. Obey the structures of society. The second point is as well as to receive, is honor, honor watches. It watches against sometimes some of the dangers of power and authority. Goes on to say in, in Romans 13, therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. So we have to be careful not to resist the authority that God's put in place, but then at the same time, we must obey God rather than men. What this means is the way we receive authority doesn't just have to be a meek submission, but when we see things which you think, that's just wrong, that's contrary to the word of God, that stands against what we believe, then by all means, we can, we can raise a voice. Sometimes the best role of, for believers is to be a voice to those who don't have a voice. For those in, in our society who nobody speaks for them. We can speak up. We can have a voice. Sometimes the best way to do that is you think, well, what do I do? Do I just go on social media and start getting angry? Sometimes the best thing to do is just to write a letter. It doesn't have to be a public thing. We don't have to go out on the streets and protest 
had a friend of mine who he was always writing to the government. Um, not just silly uh, argumentative letters, but even just to the local government. If he saw uh, a sign by the road that had fallen down, he'd write them a letter just to let them know. Well, there's a sign that's fallen down. Please, could you put it back? We used to take the mick out of him because it was a bit silly, but he just saw his role as he was just trying to be helpful. He was just trying to honour. He was just trying to be a voice, not just for silly things like that, but for important things. To say, look, this, this, is, this is what I believe. This is what the Bible teaches and to try and be a voice where sometimes there isn't many voices. I got to spend uh, a wonderful week away. This week I was in Lisbon in Portugal with a bunch of uh, leaders from the New Frontiers family of churches. As Rich said, we've got Terry Virgo coming to speak to us next weekend. Please come along to that. It's going to be such an important event. And we had this week with leaders from all across Europe, from countries from... Portugal and Spain, uh, all across Scandinavia, France, Germany, the UK, the Netherlands, and then all the way across into Eastern Europe, Bulgaria, uh, Moldova, Poland, the Ukraine, Russia, all sorts of countries, all sorts of wonderful, wonderful leaders. And many of them, many of them are leading in incredibly difficult situations. Some of them even where they're being persecuted for what they believe, where there's oppression taking place, where verses like this are so much more real because the government is corrupt and incompetent and abusive towards people. So they have to take these things really seriously and figure out what it means. Let me just introduce you to one of them. Uh, this guy, uh, you recognize that guy, that's me, but the guy next to him, he, he's, just, he's just a little guy. He doesn't look that impressive. But this guy is a mighty man of God. His name is Andrei Bondarenko. And he was living in a, in a town called Krasny Luch, probably pronounced that wrong, which is in the east of Ukraine, where there's been conflict the last few years. Uh, for about five or six years, there's been horrible conflict there. He's been living there with his family and has recently had to relocate to Kiev because it was just too difficult. We had moments where um, the, the front line of the battle moved at one point, and he suddenly found himself cut off from his wife and kids. They were over here in another town. The battle line was in between. He's at home. He's got no phone signal, no internet, no way of getting in contact with anyone. So he said, oh, I just I got to water my strawberries. <laughs> it was like he didn't know anything to do, so he just went out into the garden and, and put, himself, put himself to work. But for a man like this, trying to figure out how to honor those in authority when the authority around him is just broken is incredibly difficult. He told one story about how he was having to travel between two, sound, two towns a few hours apart in the east of Ukraine, and he was in his car, and he said just to get home, he had to go through 35 different checkpoints with members of different opposing armies and military forces there. He said he, 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 you'd pull up to a checkpoint, he pulled up to the first one, and a man with a big gun leans in the window, and he thought, okay, what I'll do is I'll just smile, you know, I'll just try and look, you know, try not to annoy him. So he just had this big smile on the face, hello, how are you doing? And the guy said to him, why are you smiling? There's, there's a war on, and you're smiling, what's wrong with you? You know, are you trying to conceal something? Maybe there's something in the boot of your car. And he starts getting angry with him. So he, he drives to the next point, and he thinks, okay, I won't smile this time. So he puts on a really serious glum face and tries to look really grumpy. And the man looks in the window and says, why are you so grumpy? 
You must be the enemy. Why would you be so grumpy? What's wrong with you? Why are you so cross? And all through, he's having to go through these checkpoints, not even knowing whether he should smile, whether he should look happy or sad. But all the time, in his heart, he's trying to honor, even when it's broken and corrupt, you know, partly just for his own safety, he's trying to, to honor. And the wonderful thing about him is the, the main way he responds is he, he's a church planter, so he just planted more churches. So what happened is it's actually remarkably similar to what's happening in the book of 1 Peter. If you remember, 1 Peter, Peter writes this letter to Christians who've been scattered because of persecution, that they're all in Jerusalem, and then you can read about it where Stephen is attacked, and then this persecution takes place, and the believers are scattered all across the Middle East. So Peter writes this letter to them all. And exactly the same thing has happened in the Ukraine, that they had, they had um, 18 churches in the Ukraine, and believers have, have had to scatter because some of them were put in jail, some of them were tortured, because the war there isn't just a political thing, but there's a religious undertone to it, so they've just had to scatter. And he said to all his people, okay, you're not refugees, you're missionaries. <laughs> That's how he taught them. He said, God's scattering you for a reason, for a purpose. So they've gone, in five years of war, they've gone from 18 churches to 35 churches. They just planted churches across the Ukraine. And that's how he responds to, how do I honor authority even when it's broken? He says, well, I'm, I'm just going to honor God. I'm just going to keep doing what God's told me to do. I'm going to keep building his church, which is his answer to a broken world. That's the role that he gets to play. So honor receives, it watches. It also silences goes on to say here in this passage, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By, by, by the church, the people of God, this is what he's trying to do in the Ukraine, this is what we can do here, is that by being, doing good, by being a force for good in this world, we can put to silence some of the critics, those that don't trust the church anymore, that have put it bottom of the list. We can do good to silence that. We can help to serve a broken world. Again, this week, some of these leaders who were, were here, they, one afternoon, they, a few of them went out into the center of Lisbon, they're in this big square in the center of the city, and there was a protest taking place. And a few of them were waiting in a, in a queue for a bus. And one of these angry protesters comes up to them and says, what are you doing here? What are you doing? And they're like, oh, well, you know, we're just waiting for the bus, and I think it'll be along in a minute. And he, the guy says to him, but you, you won't change the world by just standing there. You, you're not gonna change the world by just waiting for a bus. Which the irony was, is that these people in the, the square making lots of noise, they're not really going to do much to change the world. But these leaders are doing an incredible amount to change the world. You know, they're just waiting for a bus. They're not doing much right then. But when they go back to their nations and their homes, they're serving the poor and the needy and doing all sorts of good. I met a guy called, who's leading a church, which is 
about the same size as our church in, uh, in Athens in Greece, called Stavros, a wonderful guy. And obviously in, in Greece the last few years, you've had hundreds of thousands of asylum seekers, of refugees coming in from Syria and Iraq. And, and his church just said, well, we've, we've got to do something because these guys are everywhere. So they've just been feeding the poor and serving people, and just thousands of people. And he, to be honest, it was fascinating because it's not, it wasn't a glorious thing. He told his story and it wasn't an amazing thing. Actually, it sounded really costly and painful for the church, but even for, for him. He said the last year, um, the 365 days in a year, obviously, and he said 200 nights they'd have people sleeping in their home. Just people they didn't know. You know, just sometimes a whole family, singles, couples, hundreds of people in his own home. It wasn't he just set up some programs, he took responsibility himself. And he was just said, look, it's, compassion is costly. <laughs> it is. You know, what God's called us to do in this city will cost us, it will cost you. And sometimes we like to think it's a glorious thing, you know, and we get to show off. It's not about doing that at all. Much of what we do to serve Christ sometimes will cost us, will be painful, but at the same time, we get to not, not only honor the authorities around us, but we get to honor God. We get to silence the critics and say, look at Jesus, look at who he is. The main apologetic, the main way that we get to say to the city that Jesus is alive is by doing the jobs that the city doesn't want to do, by caring for those that get overlooked, that don't have a voice. We get to sound out this amazing message of, look at God's love, that no one else loves this person, but, but we will. We will, because, because God does. There's an amazing message, witness for him. So, honor silences, and also it's not hypocritical. It goes on to say here that we should live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Because another, another reason that people don't trust the church, that people are cynical about it, is because the church often covers up evil. There's all sorts of abuses and horrible things that have happened that the church just covers up. And we should be, that should, that should shock us. And our, our freedom in Christ doesn't put us above the law. It isn't to say, well, we'll just, we'll just hide that thing. We'll just pretend that thing's not there. That's, we should never use our freedom as an excuse, as a cover-up. But we should be obedient to the laws around us. We should bring things that are wrong to the authorities because we want to be obedient to Christ. We should show to our city that, that true liberty comes with a sense of joyful obedience. That freedom doesn't just mean we do what we want but our freedom is found in living obediently to Jesus Christ. That's what liberty, liberty church, that's what it's all about. See, as the Puritan John Owen said, he said, slaves, they, they want to take liberty from duty, as in they want to escape from it. Whereas as children, 
have liberty in the duty. We get liberty, our freedom, in following Jesus Christ, in living for him. Not using that freedom as an excuse just to do what we want, but that freedom motivates us out of love to love Jesus, to serve him. And finally, this passage finishes with kind of a bit of a, a hierarchy of, of honor. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So first of all, we should, we should honor everyone. That's pretty straightforward. Everyone, not just a select few, not just Christians or people we like, but we're to honor everyone. But then it goes on and puts a higher obligation on us. says we're to love the brotherhood. That means this family that God's put you in. This church family that God's called you into, that he sent you to. We're to love one another. Because you see, all of this passage, what, everything Peter's saying here, the context of it is a few verses before where Peter talks about the church and says we're this royal priesthood, we're this holy nation, and he paints this beautiful big picture of what the people of God is, what we're supposed to do, and all these other things are just following on from that. It's all in that context. See, because what God's most interested in is he's building his kingdom. He's building his church. He's establishing it on this earth. When my, my granddad died about 15 years ago, we were clearing out his house, and I came across this atlas um, that he'd had since he was in school. So it was about, um, I, and he, I think it was older than he'd been alive, so it was about 100 years old, this atlas. And I was flicking through it, and it came through, it had a, an atlas, a map of the whole of the earth, uh, all of the countries, and it was the ones that belonged to the British Empire, were colored in pink, right? And at this time, 100 years ago, that was a lot of pink. <laughs> like about a third of the planet was, was like, it's British, it's ours. These bits all over here, they belong to us. But now, 100 years later, the British Empire is barely even Britain, right? Even those in Britain, the Scottish and the Welsh, are trying to get out of it. The British Empire is just shrunk to, you know, it's just me and my family pretty much these days. That's, that's kind of all that's left. You know, it's even true for this city we live in that Amsterdam, during the golden age, the golden era, was known as the wallet of Europe because all this trade and commerce was coming to this city. This is where the first stock exchange is. It was one of the most important cities in the world. And yet that's slowly diminished over the time. It's still an important city, but not to the scale that it was a few hundred years ago. And what my point is that Earthly kingdoms and powers and authorities, they rise and fall and they fade. You know, Peter was writing this in the context of the Roman Empire. The people would just thought, they literally thought it would last forever. It was the most formidable empire the world had ever seen. And yet it doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's gone. It's not, it's not there. There's a story in, in Acts 19 where Paul goes... Uh, into Ephesus, and he, he ends up, and there's this uh, riot taking place, and people are chanting, and they're, 
they're proclaiming and they're chanting about Diana, who was the god of their temple. And they're singing these, all these songs about Diana, Diana. And yet you think, who's Diana? <laughs> 2,000 year, years ago, that, that idol's dead. Nobody worships Diana anymore. The idols, the powers, the authorities that we see in the world around us, they fade. If you think in your head now of what might seem like the most formidable institution, it will fade over time. It will. <laughs> in a thousand years' time, it might not be there. But yet, the kingdom of God outlasts all of them. And I, do you know, I, I'm, I want to serve the, the winning team, right? <laughs> I want to be on the winning side. I want to serve a kingdom that's going to last forever. That's what I want to devote my life to. See, because ultimately, when, when God looked at a broken world, he didn't send politicians to come and fix it. He didn't. He, he sent, his answer to a broken world was the church the people of God, that's his plan A. And that means we can go and serve in politics. We can go and become doctors and nurses and teachers. We can, we can love our neighbors, the people that we go to university with, the people that we study with, the people that we work with. We can go into all the institutions, all the parts of society and be this blessing to it, but all the time knowing that we're ambassadors for Christ, that he sent this army, his people of God into the world to bring change. He says that we should, we should fear God. This is so important. Whereas to, we're supposed to honor everyone, we're supposed to respect and honor those in authority, but to God we, we come with fear, we, we worship. We don't worship anything else. We come and we worship Jesus. Because you see, as you see, it finishes and it says that we're to, we're to honor the emperor, which is funny, that's the same level as honoring everyone else, right? It's not like there's God, there's the emperor, and there's everyone. It's like we honor everyone, we honor the emperor, same place. God's up here. We worship him above anything else. What the point he's making is that, as I said at the start, we can, we can either be those that criticize and demonize those in authority, or we can be those that, that idolize them, that turn them into saviors that are going to come and fix everything. Because the thing is, though, we don't, you don't need a savior that's going to come in and fix the world around you. We think we do. That's what, that's what people in the world around us think. We need, we need some heroes to come in and fix everything. You don't need that. You need a savior that's going to come and fix you. And, and deal with the brokenness in your own heart first and transform you from the inside out, not transform everything else around you, not just to come and make a better world around you, but to come and bring something better and more perfect and glorious in your heart. That's the change that you really desperately need because, as I said, the human authorities, the institution around us, they'll let you down. We should honor them and serve them, but they're not perfect. They're human like us, they'll fail. They'll fade over time, but Jesus reigns supreme in authority over all the earth. 
He's the one that we worship. He's the answer. He's the one that we proclaim as our mighty victor. He's the supreme ruler on the throne. Let me finish and just read this verse. It's the sort of verse we normally only read at Christmas time, but it's really important to what we're talking about today. It's from Isaiah chapter 9. It says, For to us a child is born. It's talking about Jesus. To us a son is given. And the government should be upon his shoulder. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Let me pray. Why don't you just, if you're comfortable to do so, why don't you just stand to your feet? Let me pray. God, we, uh, we want to be those that put our trust in you, Jesus, that say you're, you're the answer, first of all, for our own hearts. We don't want to trust in anything else to come and fix us or to fix the world around us. We want to honor those things, but ultimately we know, Jesus, that we need you, that you're the answer. You're the answer for a broken world, but you're the answer for our own hearts. And we want to come to you, Jesus, and say, have your way. We want to fear you, not anything else. We want to worship you. And that means opening up our hearts and saying, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your government come in, in my heart. I want to obey your way, not because I have to, because you've won us by your grace, but because I want to. I want to serve you. I want to live for you, because I know there's nothing better. There's no better way to live. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and meet our hearts. Lift our hearts to worship you, we pray. Amen.